This morning we are going to be uh, in Romans uh, 15. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Romans 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in a seat back around you. And in theory, you can open up the bookmark and get you to Romans. Uh, it's towards the back in the New Testament. So uh, Romans 15 is where we're going to be this morning. Always nice to be prepared. Uh, so we've been in a series, Who Are We? We've been talking about who we are, what we believe, what we strive to be as a church, what we call ourselves to be, what we commit ourselves to be. And so the jumping off point thing we've used to kind of start the conversation uh, week after week is uh, our church covenant. And so uh, we've been, like I said, walking through this for the last few weeks. Uh, last week we took kind of a break, kind of not. We had a guest with us, Pastor Lee, um, who I know he's not here, but I just want to thank him for coming down. Uh, and, and preaching for us, and he uh, preached on John 13 and uh, the call for us to love one another, which fits very well into what we've been doing as a community, walking through this document and using it to kind of jump off into who we are um, and talking through the things that we believe and what it means to be in Christian community together. So today we're going to finish up our study really uh, in this document, uh, really summing up what we have talked about over the last month or so, so that Really, what, it, what we've repeated and come, come back to over and over again, doesn't matter what the different line in the document has said or where we've gone in Scripture, what we've come back to over and over again is that Christian community comes down to a dependence on grace and love and unity. It is a desire to see one another thriving and growing, a desire to see one another lifted up and see the health and benefit of the community over even our individual preferences. And this doesn't mean that we need to neglect our own needs. It doesn't mean that we as individuals don't matter. But rather, when it comes to preferences about secondary things, when it comes to, and when it comes to opportunities to lift up and celebrate another person's win, those are the things we want to do. We want to be able to let down and set aside the things that we want to cling so tightly to be about preferences and maybe, like I said, secondary issues. But when we have opportunities to lift up, to hold up, to and, and build up one another, those are the things we need to focus on. And so, like I said, this morning we're going to finish this up and we're going to look um, at, as I said, we're going to be in Romans 15 and Paul's words to the Christians in Rome and his reminder to them um, and to us about the obligation and the example and the opportunity that is before us in Christian community. So the obligation, the example, and the opportunity that is before us in Christian community. That's the plan for this morning. I'm going to read, or I'm going to pray, and then we'll read uh, and, and get to work. So please bow your heads uh, and pray with me. Father, we thank you for this gift of community, uh, this gift of relationship. God, the fact that you are the God of community and relationship, that forever and in all time you have been about community before there was anything that was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony and perfect community together. And when you made us, you made us to best function and thrive in community. And we've seen it over and over throughout history, and we see it today that we do best when we're together. God, you've given us this place, this church, and for generations, for decades, you have called people to this neighborhood to proclaim the gospel. You have called people to this place to worship you and to make much of you. And Lord, we are here this morning. We're in this room this morning where countless sermons have been preached and countless prayers have been prayed and people have been baptized and salvations have happened. 
we're here this morning standing and sitting on the shoulders of generations before us who were faithful to you. And you were faithful to them and you continue to be faithful to us. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for this place, for this community that you have given us, these relationships you have given us. Lord, I pray that we would continue to pursue community with one another, that we would be intentional to build up one another, to build up this community, to strengthen and welcome one another, to be a blessing to one another. God, you have a word for us this morning. There is nothing, there are no accidents, there is no uh, blind luck or happenstance. We are here today for a reason. You brought us here this morning. You have us in this chapel, in this place for a reason, Lord. And so, God, I pray that this morning as we open your word that I get out of your way because you got work to do in our hearts. Lord, let nothing come from my mouth that isn't from you. And as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. Pray these things because of Jesus in his name. Amen. All right, one last time we're going to read through. I'm going to read through the church covenant, um, and, then, uh, and then we'll jump into uh, to Romans. So uh, the church covenant says this, We recognize God's grace in saving, uh, saving us and express our gratitude for Christ's sacrifice on the cross and the Spirit's work in our hearts. We recognize God's will in bringing us together and uniting us into one congregation as partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We affirm our covenant with God and each other in becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. By God's grace, we strive to live according to our baptism, considering ourselves dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus, and walking by the Spirit in newness of the resurrected life. We will not neglect to meet together. We will love one another in deed and in truth. We will use the Spirit's gifts for the common good. We will give cheerfully and generously. We will pray together and for one another. We will submit to one another and to the leadership of the church as it is pleasing to the Lord. We request to be accountable in our pursuit of biblical discipleship and welcome exhortation to repent of sin and align our lives with the gospel. We understand that unrepentant and persistent sin grieves the Lord and will lead to the exclusion from this congregation. If we leave this congregation, we will do so for biblical reasons and in timely and honest communication with the elders and members of the church. We will support this congregation in the ministry of advancing the gospel in our community and the world as the Spirit leads and Scripture commands. We will uphold this church's doctrines, practices, values, and goals. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. So it's those last couple of lines that we kind of use as our springboard here this morning. The document ends with this agreement that we would be of one accord, that we would be unified in our pursuits as a church. We will support this congregation in the ministry of advancing the gospel in our community and the world as the Spirit leads and Scripture commands. We will uphold this church's doctrines, practices, values, and goals. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. This is essentially saying that we're going to support the efforts of our church to pursue what Christ has commanded us to do. Go out and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Spread the gospel. Proclaim the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We as Christians are to follow the Spirit's leading in the ways we can do this while following the Bible's instructions to preach the message and, pro and welcome any and all who are seeking after the peace, hope, and grace offered through the gospel of Jesus. As a church organization, that means we have structure in place to help us in that regard. We have things like the denominational statement of faith, 
It's a 10-point statement of faith that every EFCA church agrees to and holds to. It's every church in our denomination. One of the things I love about the EFCA is that every church you can go to, any one of the, I think there's 10 or 12 in the Chicagoland area, you can go to all 10 or 12 of us, and all of us look a little bit different. All of us worship our Sunday mornings look a little bit different. The people who are part of those churches look a little bit different. No churches really are alike um, fully, but what we do all agree to and hold to is our statement of faith. This thing that unites us and uh, unites us is the things that we believe. For us locally as CF, we have our own mission, vision, and values as a church that help guide and direct the ways in which we are approaching the ultimate objective of advancing the gospel in our community and the world. And so you might ask, what are the mission, vision, and values of CF? Well, you can find them on our website, or you can come back to the building in two weeks, because we're going to start walking through the mission, vision, and values um, after next week, when next week we're going to be at Alcott at 10 a.m. Please don't come here. You will be sad and alone. Ultimately, the thing that continues to come up in this document, as I said before, the thing that continues to come up when we talk about church community, Christian community, is the need for grace and love and unity. We continually need to have grace for ourselves and for one another if we are going to engage in relationships with one another. We need to seek out the opportunities to show love and compassion to one another and to anyone who walks into this building, into a community group, or shows up at an event. That means we need to be actively aware that God places people and situations in our lives with purpose that we might step into the good works that he has prepared beforehand for our good and ultimately his glory. And the fun part is that we get to do these things together as one united body of Christ working together. Many different parts of the body, many different gifts, many different talents and abilities all working together to support, serve, and benefit one another. Unity within the community is what we are striving for. This is how God has created us to function best in the family of the family we have been welcomed into by God himself. We were saved from the wrath of God towards sin. We were saved from hell, from punishment, from separation with God, from separation from God, and we were saved from hell to be a blessing to others. Your salvation, your right standing with God, yes, is about you and your relationship with God, but it is also about your relationship with the world around you and the responsibility that you have to share the good news that you know with those around you. I said responsibility, and in general, we hear the word responsibility, and we like that, right? We like the idea of responsibility. We like a bit of importance, a bit of leadership, feeling needed, feeling like, okay, I have a job to do. I have a purpose, right? But what if we replace that word responsibility, and I said that your salvation Yes, it's about your relationship with God, but also your relationship with the world around you and the obligation that you have to share the good news with those around you. Now we get a little uncomfortable. What do you mean obligation? I have to do something? I don't want to do it if I don't want to do it. I have to do this thing? What if I don't want it? What if it's too hard? What if I just don't feel like it? What is this obligation? We're going to get there in a second as we jump into Romans 15, but I want to give a little context before we get into Romans 15 and be in Romans 14. 
Because when we get to chapter 15, Paul is continuing this kind of mid-conversation of something he already started in chapter 14, where he's talking about the dietary restrictions about the people. Remember, the church at this point, when Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he is writing to a group that is comprised primarily of Jews and Gentiles. In Rome, it's mostly Gentiles, but there's still a large Jewish congregation there. And with the Jewish converts who have converted to Christianity comes with them generations of dietary restrictions, generations of following the law, what they could and could not eat, what they could and could not celebrate. Whereas the Gentiles, they eat and did whatever they wanted. And now these two groups have to come together and find some kind of middle ground, some kind of way to be a community together, to worship together. And it was causing chaos. Because the Jewish side thought that the Gentiles should keep Jewish food laws, and the Gentiles wanted to do whatever they want. Let's be honest, they wanted to keep eating bacon. Amen. And they said, you guys should do it too. It's awesome. And they were judging each other, and they were dividing over these things. They were dividing over what, what holidays to celebrate and how to celebrate them. And ultimately, Paul tells them in chapter 14, you are free to eat and drink and celebrate however you want to. Christians are no longer under the dietary restrictions of the law or the festival days commanded to them. However, consider your actions in regards to your brothers and sisters who might still feel pulled to this thing that has been about their lives and their family's lives forever. Are you willing to give up your preference? Are you give, willing to give up something you are free to do or not do so that you can encourage your family in Christ to not struggle in their own faith? Are you willing to set your preferences aside so that somebody else can flourish? Now, for us, dietary restrictions like that, when it comes to having a spiritual component to it or, or even a social component to it, I don't think it plays as much. And same with, with holidays necessarily. But I do think when it comes to it, and it's something the Bible talks a bunch about, is the idea of, of alcohol. Is drinking bad on its own in moderation? No. I'm not against, me personally, I'm not against having a drink at a party or having a drink with a meal. But for me, if I know I am with a brother or sister who struggles with that, it makes them uncomfortable or it's a temptation that they wrestle with, then I'm going to forego that because I don't want to do anything that would make it harder for my brothers and sisters to be faithful to the same Christ. Paul writes in chapter 14 and verse 13, he says, Decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We are, yes, each other's keepers. We are to keep watch over each other. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to look out for each other. We are committed to loving and serving and caring for one another. Not only as a church community, as CF, but just as brothers and sisters in Christ universally. And so we are to be mindful and intentional with how we communicate and the ways we interact with one another. Instead, what Paul says in chapter 14, verse 19, he says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. That's the goal. That's the objective as a community. Above our own desires, wants, thoughts, ideas, rights, we seek after what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Being a community means being a collection of a bunch of different people with a lot of different backgrounds and experiences coming together with a, with a unified goal. We have to be mindful and realize that we will all struggle with different temptations. We will all struggle with different sins. We will have varying opinions, views, and experiences when it comes to different social settings or topics. So then, in all of that, with the diverse background and experiences we all have, we are to be mindful of one another and choose each other over ourselves. Choose the betterment, the building up of our brothers and sisters over a personal preference you may have. This is the obligation we have as being part of a community. 
That's what Paul says in chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. We who are strong. In Paul's context, what he's talking about here means those who aren't struggling or wrestling with wondering what to eat and not eat in regards to the Jewish dietary laws and restrictions. For us, we are blessed, man. We are blessed as a church to be a multi-generational church that has within it some in our community who have been walking with Jesus for decades. And we have some who have been walking for years. And we have some who just started their walk. They're just coming into the faith. And I don't know if you're a regular tender of CF, you know we got a whole gaggle of them upstairs who are just learning about God and the invitation he has for them to walk with him for a long, long time. And you got a whole mix in this church. And so the statement, we who are strong, is talking about this, is talking about this specific concept of food restrictions. It's not a blanket statement. He's not saying, he's saying there are places that you may be stronger than your neighbor. And there are places where your neighbor may be stronger than you. This is not Paul or the Bible saying that some Christians are better than other Christians. He's not making a tiered list. Rather, strength of faith will be different for all of us in varying capacities and situations. And so if the topic of food or worship styles or prayer or ability to study and explain the Bible, if it's a place God has developed and strengthened and grown you, then it is your obligation to lead by lifting up your brothers and sisters, not holding them back or holding over your strength over them. When you are strong in your faith, it is your obligation to lift up your brothers and sisters and not to be a hindrance to them. Almost every day, I take my son Ben to school. We live just far enough where we got to drive a little bit, and then we walk about a block and a half, two blocks from where we, where we park. If we both walk at our normal speeds, though, you know, if I put enough sugar in him, he's, he's cool. But in the mornings, he's not as fast. But if we're both walking at our normal speeds, I'm going to I'm gonna get to school much faster than he does. But that doesn't help anyone. It doesn't matter how fast I get there. It matters he needs to get there. And it's my job as dad to help get him there on time. So often, I'll carry his backpack for him. I don't walk as fast as I possibly can. I walk with him. I slow down to his speed. I keep him close by me when we cross the streets. I remind him to keep moving when he wants to stop and look at the bug on the fence. I slow down to where he is because it's best for him for me to stay with him. But I'm still there with him, keeping him moving towards the goal. You who have been made strong, you who have been grown and matured because Christ has done a work in you, Christ has grown you and strengthened and matured you, it is not just for you. We are saved from the wrath of God to be a blessing to others. That's what Paul is writing about when he talks about this obligation to bear with one another. He says we have an obligation. Obligation is to be bound to do something, compelled to do something, or even to owe a debt that needs responding. He says we, are to, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, to bear with, to carry, to lift up, to support. We who Christ has grown and matured and strengthened are compelled to carry and lift up others who are weak in certain areas. But when he talks about the failings 
of the week. This is not you are a failure as a Christian, so you need someone else to fix your mess. But rather, failings of the week literally means weakness of those without strength. It's not that you failed the test because you didn't learn the material. It's you weren't even given a chance to take the test because you weren't in that class. The point Paul is making is that we are to lift one another up and carry one another, especially in areas and times where some of us are still growing in strength. We need those to come alongside us to hold us up. We do this not to please ourselves, Paul says, or please others, but we do this for the benefit of one another. He writes also in Philippians 2, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So it's not, I'm going to mentor this person so that everybody knows just how mature of a Christian I am. Or that I helped this person grow. It's not, I'm going to lead a community group so everybody else can see how smart I am and use it as a chance to just flaunt how much I know of the Bible. The, the mentality is not that we do these things to show off or to impress others or to even try to impress or win over God, but rather God has grown me, strengthened me in this way and in this place, so I'm going to use what God has given to me to help others. It is always an intentional mindset. Pastor Lee talked about it last week when he preached John 13. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Christ loved us so we can show love to one another. Christ put our benefit, our well-being, our salvation, our growth ahead of himself, so much so that he humbled himself to, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for us in our place. And so we sacrifice, we give, we humbly consider our words and our actions and how they affect others. We seek out places and people where we can be a benefit, where we can be a help, where we can hold others up and give them a little bit of a rest. But because of our sinful flesh, because we still wrestle with that old part of us, because of our pride, we, are continue, we have to continually ask ourselves, is what I am doing building someone up? Am I trying to provide them rest? Am I trying to help? Or am I providing a stumbling block to them because it's my right, so I get to do whatever I want? Or because of my pride, I'm going to help that person, but really my motives are just I want to help that person so everybody can see how great I am. One of the questions I have continuously brought up to us this year is, what is your why? Why do you do the things that you do? What's your motivation? What's driving you? And over and over, we have looked throughout this year where Scripture will continually tell us that what should drive Christians, what should motivate us, what should be our why for everything that we do is the gospel. The good news that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for our sins and rose again, displaying his absolute power and authority over all so that there is forgiveness and new life for those who believe, both here, now, and in eternity. That reality should filter everything that we do. It is Jesus and his sacrifice and his example that guides us in how we are to love one another, how we are to serve one another, and to consider how to lift one another up. This obligation that we have, we are given an example on how to live it out. We have the obligation, yes, to lift one another up, but we've been given the example, and the example is Christ himself. Look at verse 3. 
For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. For Christ did not please himself. What do you mean Christ didn't please himself? It didn't please Christ to save us? This word please means to satisfy or accommodate. You go to a hotel, you have comfy accommodations. That is not the word accommodate, comfortable, satisfy. When you read the Gospels, that is not how we would describe Jesus' years of ministry. No, Christ came as the suffering servant. He didn't come to earth to be lauded and celebrated. He didn't come with trumpets blaring. He didn't come with a parade. He didn't come in his full and complete divine presence. He came humbly. He is the son of two nobodies from the middle of nowhere. As the prophet Isaiah wrote about him hundreds of years before Jesus ever smelled that stable. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ's time on earth, especially those ministry years, the, the gospel years that we, that we would look at, were not easy or pleasant. If ever there was one who had the right to live in a way that pleased himself, if ever there was one who was justified in protecting himself, if ever there was one who didn't deserve what he received, it was Jesus. As David wrote in Psalm 69, which is what Paul is quoting here in Romans the reproach, the insults, the shame, the disgrace of those who reproached you fell on him. Those insults that are deserved for us fell on him. He took them on. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Not only were the the insults, the things, the, the shame, the pain that he suffered was due to us, but then in turn we add on our own mocking voice. It is Christ who paved the way, who showed us what humility looks like, who showed us love, who showed us grace. He didn't just teach the theory of it. He didn't just dole it out in the most ideal of settings to the most deserving of people with whips and nails and thorns and death. He demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the example of love and grace and mercy of what it means to lay down your rights, to lay down your preferences, to lift up another so that they may thrive. That truth that we learn from this book, from the Bible, from the book of truth, the truth of God's word, this collection of writings that span thousands of years and multiple authors and styles and genres, 
This is the living, breathing, sharper than any two-edged sword word of the almighty creator of all existence. We didn't receive it by mistake. Humanity didn't sneak up and steal it from God, and we definitely didn't come up with this stuff on our own. This is a gift. It is a gift given to us by God to help us, to guide us, to teach us, to shape us, to challenge us and correct us and comfort us. These things that were written were done so for our instruction. The Bible teaches us how to best pursue the will of God, to live and engage with the world around us. These things that were written were done for our encouragement, to remind us we are not alone, to remind us we are not the first, nor are we the last, to struggle and fail and hurt and be confused and angry and frustrated by this world, to remind us from the opening chapters all the way to the closing ones that our God is for us, that our God is above all things, and at the end, God wins. This book was given to us for our instruction and for our encouragement, that we might be able to live well, to endure the suffering and exhaustion of this world. And as we struggle and fight and endure, we can do so, Paul says, with hope, not a longing over something we don't control, not an unattainable desire, not a wishy-washy concept, Hope in the Bible is a confident expectation. Paul writes often about hope in the book of Romans. He refers to God as the God of hope. He calls the gospel hope we were saved in, and he tells us we are to rejoice in our hope. Hope is what kept the Israelites going throughout their history, whether they were captives, whether they were taken from their home, whether their temple was destroyed, they clung to hope. Hope is what sent Peter and John sprinting toward the tomb when they heard Jesus' body wasn't there. Hope is a confident expectation that God can and will act. Hope is the result of knowing and experiencing the character of God along with the actions of God. And we learn the character of God and the will of God from his word. That we might ground ourselves firmly in the truth so that we can tackle each and every day with a confident expectation that God is on the move in this world and in and through us. And so, yes, it is our obligation as believers to pursue unity with one another by lifting one another up, supporting and encouraging one another, not for our own glory, but by the glory of God. And we do this following the example set for us by Christ in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And the word of God which instructs us and encourages us in this hope that we have. All of this Paul basically repeats in the prayer he lays out in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul realizes what he's writing about is way above our own abilities. And so I think he writes in this short prayer as a way to acknowledge our need for God in this endeavor. The only way this is going to work, the only way we can actually see growth and change and real, honest, unified community happen is by God's grace and working in us as individuals and as a community, as a church. This will not happen overnight. Community, deep, honest, real relationships take time to develop. That's probably why Paul refers to God as the God of endurance or the God of patience. He's the one who makes things happen because Christian community can only flourish 
when we are leaning into and being driven by the supernatural, supernatural endurance and patience of God to show grace, mercy, and love for one another over and over and over and over again. If we want harmony with one another, unity, togetherness, being able to lay down preferences and humbly lift one another up, that's only going to happen if we are in one accord with Christ. I mean, musically speaking, this idea of harmony, harmony takes work. It takes practice. It takes listening. It takes an intentional decision to try and not step on what the melody is doing, but to come alongside the melody and to support and work together to create something beautiful. Christian community, when we are coming together, blending together, submitting to one another, lifting one another up, is beautiful worship to God. Which brings us back to the importance of God's word for instruction and encouragement and endurance and hope, because it is in the word that we are pointed to Christ from cover to cover. You want to be in accord with Christ Jesus? You want to be in a relationship with one another in a way that Christ in a way, in the way that Christ encouraged us to be, then we got to know what He said. We got to know how He instructed us to live, and then we take, in our imperfect, messy way, we take what Christ said, we take what Christ did, we take what all of Scripture points us to, and we go step by step, moment by moment, day by day, together in pursuing unity, as it says in verse six. Pursue together with one voice, glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal, right there. With endurance and through encouragement given to us by God, we work together with one unified voice as a church to proclaim God's word. Look, the reality is we will differ on a lot of different things. We will differ on politics. We will differ in how to raise our kids. We will differ on social issues. We will differ on different things. We will differ on the ways that Sunday morning should happen or what events we do and don't do or how we lay out this thing or how we try and do this different event. But if we are able to be people who set aside personal preference for the betterment and building up of one another, we will be doing something that has been completely lost in this world. We can learn to listen to one another and choose to lay down what I think is my right so that you can flourish. If we can set the standard for our community in Roscoe Village, if we can do that in the neighborhoods that God has placed us, if we can choose to be the people who don't have to win every argument or have to have it my way or the highway every time, if we are willing to learn and listen and lift each other up, we are loving and creating a new normal with a foundation firmly planted in the gospel for this world. And that's how it starts. That's how we see the gospel go forward. That's how we say entire cities, entire cultures change because a bunch of individuals come together as a community and they start to plant and they start to say, I'm going to live by the gospel. And that changes things because the gospel changes things. It changes everything. This is the opportunity that we have before ourselves. Yes, we have an obligation to be strong for those who are weak, and we follow the example of Christ, and it leads us to an opportunity, he says in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Welcome, show hospitality, care for someone, care for something in the way they, someone in the way they most need it in that moment to care for the wholeness of a person. So let us open the doors wide. Let us dust off the seat next to us at the table because there's always more room. There's always another seat. 
It is God's table that we sit at. By his invitation, we sit and feast at the table of God in the family of God. You were welcomed into that family. You were welcomed into the family of God. By grace, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God or a result of works so that no one may boast. Your welcoming into the family of God, your adoption as a son or daughter, your seat at the table is not because of how awesome you are or how, or how great you think that you are or how much you can contribute. It's about how awesome God is. It's about his love and compassion and mercy and grace. All of the things that were extended to you, this invitation to find new life and new hope and new identity as a child of God given to you by him. You were called and invited to come in and be made whole. You received and accepted that invitation. So too, you are called to extend the same invitation to others. Extend the welcome, the hospitality of Christ, the love and care, the invitation to those you know, to those you don't know. Extend the welcome to those who are in desperate need, whether or not they realize it, whether or not they want to acknowledge it. They need to hear that there's a place for them where wholeness is available, rest is available, grace, mercy, forgiveness, hope is available to any and all who would admit their need for a Savior. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for their sins and choose for him to be their Lord and Savior. Extend that welcome. Extend the welcome of God to your brothers and sisters. Be present in the conversation you're having. Bring a meal when things are tough. Pray with them in the moment. When they share that thing they're struggling with, don't say, I'm going to pray for you and then forget about it. Right there in that moment, I don't care where you are, stop and pray for them. In all the ways that you know God has cared and loved and comforted you, when you think about the ways where God has shown up in your life, be those moments, show up in those same ways for others. Extend the welcome of God even to yourself. Meaning, remember that you are always welcome at the family table of God. Your sin, your shame, your guilt, these things do not revoke your reservation at the table. I love what Charles Spurgeon had to say about rewards. He said, Christ did not receive us because we were perfect, because he could see no fault in us, or because he hoped to gain something at our hands. Ah, no. But in loving condescension, condescension, covering our faults and seeking our good, he welcomed us to his heart. So in the same way and with the same purpose, let us receive one another. We are welcomed into the family of God, not based on our abilities, skills, talents, or impressiveness. We are welcomed in by the grace and mercy and love of God. You have experienced it, so show it. You know what it feels like. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So too, be a person to show it to others. The church is to be a place where we can grow in showing love and compassion and grace to each other. Learn and grow in the gifts and abilities Christ has given to us. I was at the Legacy Conference yesterday and I heard it said, we go to church so that we can go from church to the world. We come together on Sunday mornings and we gather and we sing and we connect with each other and we pray and we read and we take communion together. We do all of this to proclaim Christ and to glorify Christ and to fill us up so that we can go into the world and be the lights God has made us to be. We do this together so that we may continue in advancing the gospel in our community and continue advancing the gospel in the world as the Spirit leads and Scripture commands. 
we do it most importantly together. You're not alone in this. With unity and grace and love, we pursue glorifying him. That we, mo- that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Because we were once not a people, but now are God's people, united together, growing and becoming Christ-like and proclaiming Christ. As Christians, we have an obligation to serve one another. And we do so following the example of Christ that he set for us. And with it, we are provided the opportunity to welcome others to know the joy of being in fellowship, to being in relationship with the God who made us and knows us and loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. May we together pursue the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light that we might shine brightly. Let's pray. Thank you for everything. God, we thank you for the ways you show up. All of the ways in which you move in this world, all of the ways in which you reveal yourself to us, all of the times and moments and places where you have reminded us you're still here, you're still for us, you're still working. The people you have put in our lives to support us and hold us up when we were too tired, when we were too weak, when we couldn't take another step, and you gave us somebody that could help us take that next step. God, I thank you for community. I thank you for this place. I thank you for these people. God, you have been faithful, and you are continue to be faithful. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful to the obligation we have to to serve one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up. We want to be faithful to strengthening the community you have provided. But God, it takes work and it takes intentionality and it takes us laying down our, our preferences, our pride, our wants, our preference, our the, the things we think are best, we have to lay them down and submit to one another and to give up certain things so that we can see the benefit. And Lord, it's hard, and every other voice in this entire world tells us that we are the most important thing, when in reality, you are the most important thing. God, give us wisdom. God, give us discernment. God, give us a unity as a people. And not only in CCF, but within the church, period. That all throughout this city, all throughout our country, all throughout our world, that the gospel is being proclaimed. That the little foundations in neighborhoods, in apartments, in communities all around the world, the gospel is laying the foundation. The gospel is making things new, is changing culture, is rebuilding cities so that they might glorify you. God, you call us to be part of that, to redeeming all things back to yourself, and that's a big, mighty task. But you, you call us and then you say, I'm here with you and I'm here for you. So let's do this together because I'm not going anywhere. God, help us to step into those moments you have set aside for us. Those moments where you have laid out the opportunity for us to do a good work, to, to be the light that you have called us and made us to be. Help us to be aware of those things, to, to be paying attention so that we might glorify you in all that we do, in all that we say, in every interaction. 
God, help us as a church to seek out those opportunities and together with one unified voice, lift up your name, the name above every name. God, help us to continue to pursue you above everything else. God, we need you because we can't do it on our own. God, we thank you and praise you for what you have been doing for generations, what you continue to do in our midst now. And God, we thank you now for what you're going to do because you're not done. God, we thank you and praise you. Amen.